Imagine this. You've hosted the TV show Wipeout. You've even hosted your own talk show aimed at teens. But you were also acting in the hugely popular TV show Mr. D. But that's not even counting how you were still the definitive bar-spitting trailer park resident J-Rock. In fact, you've pretty much always been on a TV screen somewhere for over the past 30-plus years. And you're now becoming even more well-known as a writer. Not bad for a kid from the tiny remote maritime province of PEI. So who are you? And what changed the game for you? Let's find out. You're listening to Game Changers, the podcast series with Brittle Star. Today's guest, Jonathan Torrens. You're mellifluous, right? Amazing. I know. Hashtag nailed it. That was great. <laughs> I, I, uh, we can keep this part in. I, um, when we were organizing this uh, podcast session and uh, setting up the time and stuff, and you, I had sent off, you know, I said I'll send you an email tomorrow, and then you made a joke. Uh, <laughs> you know, why tomorrow? Uh, is it because of the time difference? And I, why does it arrive tomorrow? Is it because of the time difference? And I didn't realize you meant the email, and I, I thought you meant like me, and you're making some sort of like high level multi-layered joke i love it and uh, and see the thing is it's like it's but it's it shows a a level of like serious respect to have for you a friend who's uh in the uk who's one of these guys whenever he sends me an email i open it and i I immediately i feel challenged i feel like oh god okay all right well you're giving me far too much credit you just overshot the (laughs) runway on a a simple time change joke but I, i love your commitment to dissecting it and (laughs) <laughs> I, I mean, I feel honored that you would give it that much weight. Well, I looked at it and I what thought, oh God, is he tomorrow? like, is he, is he being, does he, is he being funny? Does he expect no, me to show not. up? He doesn't actually. I, I, yeah. I have a theory, especially with people that are of a really high profile. Mm-hmm. I don't count myself in that group, but they're often more interesting from a distance. And the biggest misconception is that people will be remotely as interesting as you hope. <laughs> And I'm afraid if this is your peek behind the curtain, it's going to be enormously disappointing, the beach passing minute. In fact, your intro might be as good as it gets for this. I think what's good as it gets is the fact that you were concerned it was a video podcast as well, and you showered for it. I was. I did. I I bathed. Yeah. Yeah. Although I'll have to send you a still photograph. Okay, that's where we are. That's where the bar is. Oh, you should see the background is great. I considered what shirt I was going to wear. You got a light, nice light bounce yeah. so you can see your face nicely. Yes, magic hour. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. We haven't even said uh, hi yet. So uh, hi, Jonathan. Thank you so much for joining us. We Thank appreciate it. Thank you for having it. me. Yeah, I'm super stoked to talk to you. So what we're talking about today, as you know, you're saying in your in the intro there, I mean, you've, you've been on TV somewhere for the past 30 plus years and uh, you've done so much. You were saying like you started uh, hosting when you were like 15 years old. So was there, I mean, this this whole series is about talking to people who have attained success and the people, the places or the events or whatever that they, they found themselves in or found themselves meeting and going, Oh, this is like a game changing event. And if they knew it at the time, or if they didn't know it until later, was there anything like that when you like got into TV or acting or whatever? I have seven examples of this. Seven. And I'm so glad that you're having these conversations because I always find it really interesting. I remember reading, this is a lateral thought, but the bare naked ladies knew they made it mm-hmm. when they were stuck in traffic in Boston on the way to a record signing. And the DJ came on the radio and said, there's a traffic jam in downtown Boston because the bare naked ladies are having a record signing. 
And imagine that moment when they turn to each right. other in the car and go, right. oh my so that, gosh, this is it. For me, it yeah. kind of happened in the, the weirdest roundabout way and certainly not on that scale. Street Sense was never sexy at the time. It was a right. consumer so, affairs so, show for teenagers yeah, on yeah. a public broadcaster on Saturday mornings. It wasn't 90210. Mm-hmm. But I always wanted some type of validation that I was on the right path or in the right industry. So I would contact the registrar from Ryerson every year and say, I want to come study radio and television arts. And every year, the same woman would say, why? You're working (laughs) in the industry that our graduates would love to be working in. Right. Show up early, stay late, ask questions, take on extra work, find a way to take criticism. And that was such wonderful advice. So in a strange turn, my first kind of big game changing moment was what I opted out of doing which was getting formal training in my actual career. So was that essentially those, those the correspondence you were having with Ryerson? Uh, did that like those, when this, the first one came through and said, listen, what's the point of you doing this? You're already doing it. Was that sort of a point of revelation for you? You were like, oh yeah, no, I, I guess I, I guess I am kind of doing it. I guess it meant more, not unlike my email response to you about setting up this time, <laughs> it meant more to me than it probably did to her. Um, you know, sure. her message was quite simple. You're, you know, you, you can apply if you want, but just kind of sidebar, why would you want to do that? So it did certainly right. give me pause and I did uh, consider it and certainly ended up taking her advice. So I worked on Street Sense for seven years. Seven years. I didn't realize it was that long. Wow. That's amazing. So did you, when you, when you, I mean, did that, was that you or the dog? That's my dog. That's Henry. He's a four pound oh. Morky. See, that's the one thing I didn't do. I showered, I changed my shirt, I did not sequester the dog. But he's too small to go outside unattended. That's fine. So I don't know how to manage this. I, you don't have to manage it all. I think it brings a sense of reality to the show <laughs> that people eat up. People yeah, have dogs in real fantastic. life. We live on a dirt road and it's rush hour, so every time a car goes by, which is twice in oh. the next hour, they'll well, that's bark. fine. That's, that's fine. Um, so when you're, when you're getting, you know, when you got that initial correspondence, um, I know you're pretty young. I mean, did you, did you sort of look at that correspondence of where you were after reading that and go, yeah, I'm on the right track. This is now, I didn't, I wasn't sure I was before, but now I know I'm on the right track. Well, I was also lucky at the time to have so many surrogate parents that worked on the crew at CBC Halifax. Right. So I got life advice and career advice, um, from, you know, camera guys and props gals and all kinds of people that I idolized. And it Mm -hmm. became quite clear to me at the time that uh, this industry is fickle, it's fleeting. And so why wouldn't you ride this wave at least as long as you can to see where it goes? Because this might be the only thing you ever do. And I've kind of operated with that same mentality ever since, which is not uh, uncommon with the other freelancers that I've talked to. Sure. I realized you kind of in two gears, work or worry. (laughs) And it took me till I was in my late 30s to go, you know what, you need to add a third gear, which is actually live and trust that something will come along because so far it always has. Um, But it was in hindsight, it was the right decision. Yeah, I think that that's a uh, very apt. Actually, that's very you know certainly myself being uh, self employed have been since I was like nineteen. Um, there is those two gears, right? It's just work and worry, and that's it. You just kind of it's like feast or famine, basically. And um, it, it's you sort of it takes a while for you to realize that you have to you know things. There's always something. There's always something out there at some point in time. I used to always convince myself when I get stressed out. 
I'd be like, well, just imagine you owned a corner store. You know, theoretically, no one could show up next week. But that's right. highly unlikely, that type of idea, you know? Well, and every time I, I considered like, so say I had a more secure job and I worked at Xerox Canada and I had a cubicle and I knew I got two weeks a year vacation, that right. gave me hives. Yes. The oh. idea of, of a more sure thing was yeah. actually what really flipped me out. So I found some comfort in that. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. I think that's the, you know, the case of a lot of self-employed people and a lot of freelance people is that uh, the idea of selling your time is, is, uh, is, is heinous, almost. It's, you just can't imagine doing it. Um, okay, so you're, you know, you're a teenager. You, you've got this correspondence. You said you had seven game-changing things. Yeah, now. so the next one would be um, I, I moved from Street Sense to a show called Jonovision. I've always felt philosophically it was better to leave something before I was asked to leave. And especially mm-hmm. working in kids TV, right like before you're like, whose dad is that hosting the kids show? And why is he wearing a <laughs> denim jacket with the collar flipped? Like, so I left street sense after seven years because I felt I couldn't really do anything more there. John O'Vision was a talk show, as you mentioned yeah. uh, for teenagers. It was always the wrestling match between the comedy show that we wanted to make for kids and the kind of earnest rap about the issue show that cbc felt was kind of on brand the right. great thing is it was in the children's time slot so we were kind of under the radar and that has been a key secret in my ability to stick around for 30 years i'm either in the kids department or in the third to seventh banana on any show <laughs> I, i've never really been front and center for grown-ups right um so the next game-changing event in my life was after the fifth season of John O'Vision, I said to uh, the then head of CBC English TV, what if, just like me, since I turned 30, all yeah. the kids that started watching me on Street Sense and John O'Vision are now also 30. What if we do a similar version of this show just, I don't know, after dark? Yeah. And there was a feeling internally that I hadn't uh, proven that I could carry a show by myself. So I made right. the game-changing decision to walk away from a sixth season of John O'Vision, which right. was... Don't get me wrong, it wasn't a ratings juggernaut, but it had access to an audience that CBC did not otherwise have. Sure. So I made the decision to move to LA. Right, right. And this becomes critical in my life because I went there without any real plan other than making it. Yeah. Without defining what my it was. And that that became huge. So you get into this weird mentality, as I said, work or worry, where I would audition for things that the only thing worse then not getting it would be getting it and having to show up for work every day. For example, a show called House Busters, where mm-hmm. say you've suffered a recent tragedy in your living room, a team of psychics, feng shui experts, and interior designers come to smudge the demons and give your place a bit of a zhuzh. Like it just so happened that the timing for when I was down there was Renault hosty hybrid right. reality. Yeah. Um, so Stuart, I know this is hard for you because, you know, you lost someone close to you, but have you thought of accent cushions? (laughs) And then the next couple of days you're pacing around your overpriced apartment going, man, why haven't the housebusters people called? And it takes some distance to get perspective on that and thinking, well, that would be awful if I hosted that show. Yeah. Um, yeah. Another one was called America's cutest puppy. Like tonight, the canine move into the mansion, America, the phone lines are open. Can you even imagine doing that for a living. So I called my mom after one of these awful auditions. She was living in Halifax 
and I asked her what she was up to just because I had two hours in the car driving back to Burbank or wherever. Right. Yeah. And she said, I'm going to the dentist and she wasn't looking forward to it because she was scared. And I had an epiphany. In other words, a game changing moment where I realized, right. do I want to be the guy that took my mom to the dentist or do I want to be uh-huh. the guy that came in second to host America's cutest puppy? So I was in uh, transition from a relationship standpoint as well. So I m- made the decision to move back to Canada and indeed yeah. to Halifax where I'm from. Yeah. And uh, that's when I discovered that for me, it is balance. Right. I didn't right. want whatever the stereotypical definition of it is enough to sleep on a friend's couch to get five lines on Moesha. Yeah. Like it, I just didn't care enough. Yeah. Um, so I moved back as a lifestyle choice. And that was the best decision I've ever made. It's interesting because, uh, you know, a number of people that we've talked to in the series have stated that their some of their game-changing moments as such um, weren't necessarily positive moments, like kind of similar to what you're describing. And it's kind of like a revelation. And not that there was anything terribly negative about what you went through, <clears throat> but at the same time, um, you know, having a setback or some sort of obstacle or some sort of realization that you're maybe not moving as fast as you want to, or things aren't going the way you want to, that can have kind of the same effect. Especially when you're in it and can't really have perspective. I'm a firm believer in the worst moment of any kind of trauma is emotional or physical. I was in a car accident. I broke my femur in five mm-hmm. places. And the worst mm-hmm. part of it was the very moment where I didn't realize how bad it was, or if I would ever walk again, or if I was going to need a cast or surgery or, or any of that. From that moment mm-hmm. on, you're getting stronger and you're healing. And the surge of adrenaline that comes from weathering a blow, mm-hmm. that's the good stuff in life. And I've always come out the other side of any kind of negative event that much stronger, because what it causes you to do is call into question when your mortality or humility is kind of flung in your face. Right. It causes you to call into question, are my friends really my friends? And am I mm-hmm. living where I should? And am I in a relationship with the person that I'm meant to be? And am I doing for a living everything that I want to do? So um, that car accident was actually another huge game changing moment for me because it made me question my game and make sure everything was tight. Yeah. And, you know, I think you're right. I think that you you have these, sometimes those events happen, these traumatic events happen, and they kind of give you a little bit of clarity. They kind of go, wait, why am I doing this? I know that uh, uh, M. Griner on her um, chat with us had basically said, you know, when she got dropped from her label, she was like, well, what you have to set, you know, why am I doing this? Why, why am I making music? Why am I doing this? So it's like, you know, why am I making the decisions I'm making? As you said, why do I have are these friends really my friends? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Am I living where I'm supposed to be living? I think that can be really impactful for sure. Well, this is super exciting because we're we're down to five now. Yeah. Well, have I only <laughs> gone through two? I think so. Oh my gosh. Well, breaking <laughs> my you leg. Combine. Oh no, that was good. I broke my oh, that, leg. That's good. Okay. That's why. All right. So we have four more. That's good. I'm being All a right. bit facetious when I say I like there are seven. Have you kept a list of game changing moments or or just no? But it's something of... I think about a lot and something mm-hmm. I talk about a lot because especially in this country, in this industry, people assume there are choices. Why did you choose to do this show? And why did you choose to not do that one? Choosing to not do things was a game-changing moment when I learned the power of the word no. Mm -hmm. Because no often works in your favor. We're not used to hearing it. And people think that the laws of social grace that apply to conversation also apply to negotiation. Right, right. So when you drop a no on someone, they're like, 
what? What do you mean? And instantly puts them in a position, a position where they're trying to convince you of what it is they wanted you for in the first place. Yeah, no, it's an interesting thing. I think you're totally right. I think what's really interesting is that, uh, you know, a a common theme through all the conversations I've had about game changing moments on the series is that uh, the power of saying yes, but you're totally right. I think that, you know, there's a tremendous amount of power in saying no, because it usually comes from some sort of position of clarity of saying, "Mm, no, I'm not going to do that. And you feel good about it. Well, so my clarity is I've devised a simple three prong approach to everything that kind of comes into my purview. Fun money challenge. Anything that I do has to have two of those elements. Okay. If it's a fun challenge and the money's no good, you need some of those too. I firmly believe that. Right. That's how I end up working on Friends web series or uh, things like that. Obviously, the definition of fun changes at different points in your life. For me, it's not fun with a young family to go to Vancouver for the day from the East Coast. Yeah. Um, fun is somewhere they can come with me. Fun is somewhere I've never been before. Fun is a type of character that's completely different to something I've played. But anytime, and I can almost count them on one hand, thankfully, anytime mm-hmm. I've done something for just one of those three, and let's be honest, it's usually money, yeah. it has not felt good and it has not been a good experience. Right, right. The I odd time you get all three. Yeah, I think those are special moments for sure. Um, but I th- that's a great uh, way to look at these opportunities, though. And it certainly helps uh, with your decision making, as opposed to just a pro and con list. Having those three checkpoints is good. Well, I'm kind of an, an anti-performer uh, in some ways because I'm self-represented. I don't have an agent. I don't have mm-hmm. a manager. And sometimes mm-hmm. when a casting director will call me because it's a small enough market in this country that they can approach me directly... I find myself saying, you know, who'd be good for this? I, like, I don't see myself right. doing that, but, but have you thought of Darren Rose? Like he'd, he'd be great. He's so charming and likable and fun. You should, should try him. Um, I, Cause I actually really enjoy that. And, and I think having a realistic outlook on what you can pull off. Uh-huh. So, so the big epiphany I've had in my career in the last year is, I'm not the best host. I'm not the best actor. There are better improvisers than me. I'm not a stand-up comic. Mm-hmm. My kind of virtue is that not unlike a spork, I can do a couple of things at the same time, <laughs> and there aren't many people that can do that. So knowing what you're not good at was a big game changer for me too. I had an agent when I was in LA. He said, you're terrible at auditioning. You apologize mm-hmm. midway through the scenes. You're telling people in the room it's almost over. Bear with me. Like you're... You need to work on the art of walking in the room and winning people over from zero to 60. Because the right. truth is, I haven't had to do it much in Canada. Yeah. I've been working so long. Yeah, yeah. So I well, got a commercial agent and people that can drink a sip of Sprite and beam at the camera. Yeah. That is a skill that I respect and admire. It is also not one that I possess. <laughs> so learning what you're not good at is as important a part of the journey as figuring out what you can do. I believe that firmly. Right, right. Excellent, excellent. Uh, you're like you're the only person that's had a definitive number of game changing moments when they came on. Uh, you and Adam Grow from Cash Cab. He had oh really? Yeah, he had three that he wanted to do specifically, and you've beat him. Have there roundly. been any crossovers? Like anyone that's like, yeah, I've heard that before. Uh, meaning like, like game changing moments in general, like yeah. things that have happened to people. I, I mean, there's it's been interesting because there's been a pretty even split of. 
you know, I, I went to this place or this thing happened, like an event happened, or I met this person. Um, what's interesting to me is we just spoke with uh, Christine Stewart, who's a very successful business person and has done tremendous oh, things. Oh, yeah, she's huge. And, yes, absolutely. And uh, there was no specific person that was a game changer for her at all, like at all. Wow. Which was, which was really interesting. I thought maybe there'd be like a someone who'd be like a, you know, like a mentor or something. And I was certainly talking to other people. There's been like, oh, no, there's, I met this person and this person changed things for me. And there was just none of that. So it's really interesting to see what it is that, you know, makes people take that uh, left or right choice in the road when they get to that fork in the road or spark well, in the road. As I certainly had people that I admired from a career standpoint and people that work in the industry whose careers and, and skill sets I've looked up to. Peter Zosky was probably the first one ever. Mm-hmm. But the person, aside from my wife and the impact that she's had on my life for a billion reasons, the person who's probably mm-hmm. been a game changer for me as far as my approach goes more than anyone is my father-in-law. Right. He uh, worked in the farm machinery business his whole life. Okay. I probably shied away from trying uh, manual labory things because I just assumed they were over my head and I couldn't I think really do them. Because you called them manual labory things. That's yeah, probably, that's manual the first labory t- things. That's, that's the tip off right there. That's the first hint right there that maybe I don't have many calluses <laughs> on my palms. This is the thing, though. <laughs> he doesn't always know what he's doing. It's right. evident, but it doesn't stop him from trying and figuring mm-hmm. it out. Mm-hmm. So that was a huge game-changing revelation as well. I just assumed I was not privy to this entire uh, knowledge base that folks who live out in the country where I live have. Mm-hmm. That's not true. He doesn't right. know how to do a third of the stuff he's doing, but it doesn't stop him. God, I, I, it's, it's very insulting almost to him now, in a sense. Well, I mean, it, it is. It, yeah. It's the biggest compliment. I certainly don't mean to insult him. I, I respect him immensely. But I guess I've learned that you might as well try And often by identifying the worst case scenario, it's not nearly as bad as the abstract idea of how bad it could be is in your mind. And that certainly goes along with the idea that, um, you know, people talk about these moments and and these uh, things that open doors for them. Uh, Almost everybody, however, has said they had to be in motion. They had to be doing something already. You can't just kind of sit there and then something magically happens to you. You're, you're seeking something. You might not know what you're seeking. You might not know what you're doing. You might not know what you're trying to achieve, but you're in motion. And that's when you actually get these opportunities or people or whatever that show up in your life where you're like, oh, okay, this is, this is great. This is now giving me the next step or whatever. Well, I've uh, had, I feel like even at my stage in my career, often when I take a show idea to a network, I'm mm-hmm. starting with not that much equity because it's a small business, they have a small number of yeses. Um, so recently, I had a, a show and development at Comedy Network and a show and development at CBC, both of them right. for two years. Both of them got passed on by the networks. <sighs> so I had a choice to make. I could sit on the couch and cross my arms and think, man, networks don't know anything. Yeah. Or I could take matters into my own hands and decide to generate ideas and things that give me oxygen, things that get me out of bed. That's mm-hmm. often, uh, those moments are the most inspiring somehow because I realized, wait, the networks are all concentrating on the internet. Why am I still concentrating on the networks? I'm going to take good ideas, shoot them myself and take them directly to sponsors and eliminate the networks as the middleman. Well, that sounds great. So it sounds exactly what I'm doing and that I don't like the competition. Okay. How's it going for you? (laughs) I'm doing a podcast series right now. So uh... you are. (laughs) Hey man, 
I, I do a podcast as well, and it is maybe the most satisfying thing I've ever done for this very reason. It's the long lost art of long form conversation and the exchange of ideas. And yeah. the only thing it needs to make it in is that you and I both feel like talking about it in this moment. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. I really, I've, on, I've greatly enjoyed the whole process. Yeah, there's. I think I'm missing that middle prong of the spork, the fu- the money mm-hmm. part. Yeah, but we'll we'll get to that eventually. But it's It'll a happen. fun challenge. It is. It is. Um, interesting about you know doing like taking your ideas and and uh, when you get these these pushbacks or when you get these disappointments where someone want, doesn't want to do something or you don't get the job or you don't get the gig or whatever, and then saying, "Well, forget it. I'm going to go ahead and do it myself." Um, I mean, that's been echoed a couple of times, actually, by people I've talked to about Game Changers, where they've said, uh, I wasn't going to wait around. I mean, it kind of goes back to that idea of, like, you've got to be in motion for opportunity to happen. And you really got to create a sense of, I think Jay Gold called it a sense of urgency. Um, And I I always think it's like, you know, I've said to friends of mine in developing stuff of our own, like, we need to let people think the train's leaving the station. Like, we need to, you know, we need to, you know, we need to, this is, this is happening. Um, there's lots of, uh, ideas that are just ideas, but if ideas in motion suddenly become more interesting, that type of thing. Well, also as you and I were talking about, I think before we officially started, technology Mm -hmm. has never been more accessible. Mm -hmm. So particularly on this part of the country, maybe there is a tendency to say, man, people in Toronto get everything and all, all the breaks. It's the old, uh, you won't believe how much, uh, luck hard work brought you. Like, yeah, <laughs> I, I just can't sit idly and bemoan the networks. They're in a really tough um, sure. position at this point in our history as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's move on to your next game changing moments. I think we're down to three left. Are we? I think so. Man, I don't even know if I have any more that are as amazing as the ones I've shared already. <laughs> I think the, um, okay, so I'll, I'll call it false economy. Okay. As a side hustle a couple of years ago, uh, my wife and I bought a trailer business where we rent out trailers to movies and TV shows. It's not my area of expertise. I am not great at it. I don't really know how to do it very well. Mm -hmm. So the big game-changing lesson is I can take 10 days and try to undercoat these trailers (laughs) and still not know at the end if I've done it properly, Uh even though this is um, the opposite of my earlier point where I suggested you can try and do anything. It's true. Right. Didn't say well. Yes. So why wouldn't I hire someone who undercoats for a living to do right. in half a day what I just might have spent 10 days doing? And that way I've just bought back nine and a half days of my life to do what I'm actually not too bad at. Yeah. Um, so accepting what you're not good at is huge. That's good. I like accepting what you're not good at. I think that's, I'm, I'm a big believer in you have, to, one of the first things you have to do is realize the value of your time. It goes back to, we were talking about, uh, you know, being a freelancer or self-employed and the idea for me of selling my time to a job used to be like so abhorrent. I just like, oh man, I cannot imagine. And it's funny because my youngest son, Gregor, um, he does, you know, videos, he does social media videos, you know, occasionally get these brand deals where he'll do branded content for whatever company and, uh, and he gets paid really well. I mean, he's worked, he works really hard at his, his, you know, creating his content and and building this audience online. But, uh, he went, he sent to us at the beginning of the summer and he said, you know, do you know some of my friends, they work at, uh, Tim Hortons. And I was like, oh yeah, that's great. And he goes, do you know, they have to be there for eight hours. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) 
<laughs> yes, they do, because that's yeah. how the world works. That's a shift. It's called a shift. It's called a shift. Speaking <laughs> of shift, I made $2.05 an hour when I started at Quimple Road McDonald's in Halifax. Did you really? Um, yep. You could work a three-hour shift and uh-huh. get a free lunch. So I would often leave school in grade 10, yeah. work in 11 to 2 to get a lunch. Yeah. Um, it was optional school for me, for the most part. Uh-huh. Um, but yes, it's true. Uh, my wife's grandfather, who was 96 last year, I was not my usual um, sparkly personality self. Okay. And at the end of a day, I'd been up early, and he said, "What's wrong with you? You don't you don't seem to have your usual jump." And I said, "Oh, I was up early for work." And he said, "Call that work, do you?" <laughs> and he's right. He this is the guy who like build roads with his hands yeah. yeah so i have to put on some makeup and make funny faces on the tv yeah or you have to get in an uber and go talk to richard krauss yeah it ain't digging ditches no you're right i always say to people that uh i remind myself that my great-grandfather was a coal miner in scotland so i mean it, it's truly it's got to be easier than that was no kidding terrible although yeah. i worked on a tv show called pit pony about mining which was almost as challenging as working in a mine <laughs> <laughs> You should go. I think that I'm glad we have that on record of you stating that. Yeah, no it, kidding. It'd be very similar, I imagine, as what the, you know, 19th century coal miners had to do. Well, I guess I mean saying period dialogue with a straight face. Okay. That was right. the challenge. All right. That's fair enough. That's the best acting enough. I ever do is listening to people's dreams. Oh, I had the craziest dream. No way. Tell me all about it. Huh. There was a marshmallow with feet. Huh. So tell me something. So tell me, uh, is there any way for people to tell that they're being, that they're in the middle of a game changing moment, either with meeting a person or having something happen? Is there any, are there any signs that you can kind of say, oh, okay, I should pay special note to this. This is going to be important. Great question. I think in a way it's kind of the perfect storm. You have to be in a place where you're open to hearing it and Mm -hmm. letting it wash over you. Because I've had encounters with people where I was maybe not the most present or not paying particular attention. And then only afterwards, I've realized, wait a sec, that was pretty cool. And alternatively, mm-hmm. I have maybe put too much weight on encounters thinking it would be. I mean, Peter Zosky is a great example. Right. He, he was a idol of mine. And when I met him, it's not that he, he was a disappointment. He is just not who I hoped he was he's quite an introvert and right not super uh giving right <laughs> but i i had already predetermined that this encounter would be a yeah. game changer and then it, it wasn't so you, right. i guess you kind of have right. to be be open to it and let it hit you when it when it hits you you know same thing i met gord downey once it's kind of a regret i i i took the liberty of trying to peer behind the curtain right of such a gifted performer because my yeah. natural curious uh, curiosity took over and I was kind of sure. asking questions about his process and I hadn't earned that. Right. And afterwards I felt quite embarrassed that I would take right. that Liberty. So, I mean, th- that kind of goes into the next question, which is, can, you know, do you, th- I mean, we've kind of touched on it a little bit by saying, you know, you need to, you need to sort of keep doing stuff and you need to be active and, and creating things and that type of thing. 
and always working on something, uh, even if you're not sure really sure what the the end goal is or what you're trying to achieve specifically. But can you or can someone create a game changing moment? Like I know you're saying with the Peter Zosky thing, I, you know, you obviously in a sense tried to go into that trying to create a game changing moment. So can can you create these moments? I guess. If you look at something like the idea of trying to get a TV show sold and you know in your heart it's good and you're going to take it all over town and you're going to be relentless and not quit until it's done. Mm -hmm. In that way, I suppose you could force a game-changing moment. Mm -hmm. But I think part of the uh, mystery of the universe is how they happen when you are least expecting them but maybe need them most. And to go back to the car accident for one second... I was not mm-hmm. very good at asking for help in my right. life. Mm-hmm. And so what happens? I am put in a position where I am forced to ask people to wash my hair for me right. or pass right. me the cereal. Mm-hmm. It, it was not lost on me the lesson that I was supposed to take out of that circumstance. So do you think there's a benefit to just kind of being uh, aware of uh, I mean, I, I spoke to actually about a month ago, I spoke to this woman who, who does meditation and I'm not a, I'm not into meditation. I've never done meditation. So I found her really interesting to talk to, but she was saying, you know, one of the things is just to be, uh, you know, really aware of where you are, what you're experiencing, all that kind of stuff. Can you take that kind of thought and then apply it to different situations to help determine the importance of, of a moment happening? I I don't know. I'd like to say I'm not cynical about words like aware and present, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I, I think there is kind of a faux spirituality right. <laughs> in our society nowadays, and I can't help but kind of roll my eyes a little bit when I yeah. hear words like that. And I know how judgy that sounds. Uh-huh. I think my wife really has it nailed. She is the same person when she is in our kitchen as she is at the Canadian Screen Awards as she is at Sobeys. And my right. mom would have called that she's congruent. What she thinks and what she feels and what she says are all the same thing. Right, right. I I think the trick is to try to strive for that in your life. I don't know. Interesting. That was good. That was good. It was very deep. It was a little bit faux spiritual, but it was. was, Well, you started dropping (laughs) meditation and awareness. I said I didn't didn't buy it. My dad was Baha'i. Let me recall some Baha'i stuff. My default is to try to make some Baha'i, like my dad was Baha'i. I want that on a t-shirt as a slogan. I think it sounds funny, but not deep. Just getting Baha'i. Just the getting Baha'i. Story. That's right. That's really good. I like it. Living the Baha'i life. No, that's mm-hmm. some, yeah, something like There's lots of jokes there, probably. They're all based around the word high. That was yeah, it. no kidding. Um, well, thank you so much for joining us. We greatly appreciate it. It was, it was fun. It was a fun chat. And man, uh, as I said to you, I think maybe, I can't remember if it was before we started recording or not, but you know, going through to sort of you know refresh my mind about all the stuff you've done, you have done so much stuff. And you've been so like your writing is becoming, uh, you know, such a big part of what you're doing now. I think that now that you're and you're involved in Letterkenny now, which is one of my new my family hates the fact that every time I bring Letterkenny up, it's the uh, best. Why do they hate it? Because I bring it up constantly and they don't uh. want to watch it. They have zero interest in watching it. I forced both of my kids. That's not true. My oldest son, Owen, watches it and enjoys it, uh, but he doesn't watch it with me. And my youngest son, uh, he won't watch it, but I forced him to watch the scene in the most recent series uh, when they're talking about L.A. 
um, because yeah. we have we have sort of you know we've run similar bits to him and I about uh, about LA, oh, which I, is great. Uh, but you're involved with that show as well, which is exciting. I am. I've, Jared is uh, has become a friend, That's and all. I've written a half dozen of them. And um, it, this is this was a game changing moment in my career, and I will use your family example of Letterkenny mm-hmm. um, to back it up. Trailer Park was so unique and so unusual and so misunderstood when it first came out. And I remember sure. having this conversation with Mike Clattenburg because John Doyle in the Globe and Mail gave it an atrocious review. Right. No, and, not oh, him. Oh, awful. He, yeah. But in <laughs> fairness, he circled back a year later and said, oh, I just didn't get it. It's actually great, which was right. out nice and helpful and all that stuff. But I would rather work on something that is everything to some than a show that tries to be uh, everything to everyone. Especially in comedy, because if it tries to be everything to everyone, it right. stops being anything to anyone. So that letter Kenny resonates with you, but not with your son or wife, yeah. but it does with your neighbor. That to me just means it's working. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a huge fan of the show. I think it's the the last episode of the new season. Um, and this is just getting I'm just getting excited about letter Kenny talking about this now. But the last show, uh, the new season. Um, Bok Ebish. Yeah. Uh, so good. Now, now you, you had a hand in writing that, is that right? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Um, the great thing about Jared is he has a very strong vision for what the show is. And he is excellent at saying, sure. love this joke. It's not for us. Or love right. that joke. Can I have 10 more of those? So right. Right. I think my name is on that episode. But yeah. make no mistake, it's a very collaborative effort and the final pass is always his right but i've been just tickled to be at the table and i'm actually going to sudbury next week to shoot an How episode exciting. as a guest star which is great yeah that's super exciting i just love the uh both there was that episode and there was the les Heek, uh yeah wrote that one well. too and uh well i mean they're so both so great because they're so uh I, I i have to i have to tell you this now is that I, I the first one I watched and I actually was I was like crying in the middle of it like there was it was funny it was really funny but I was actually like starting like almost like patriotic little maple syrup tears and that sounds like I'm being facetious but I'm not it was literally like oh man this is exactly this is like Canadian this is well, so well it has the swagger about it that Trailer Park did when it first started too and yeah everybody knows those guys they're unapologetic um, Jared would say that they are rough yeah and they are like the i love the first nations characters on the show and yeah. i love that nobody pussyfoots around anybody and i love that everyone disses unequal and equal kind of playing field <laughs> and it's written like uh just the patois is so um so well written it probably doesn't oh, get enough sure. credit for how well written it is yeah, no, it's incredibly well written. It's the thing that grabbed me the first time. It was just like, oh, this is really funny. Right from the shorts, right? The the YouTube shorts that started before the series itself. Yeah, it's it has so a vibe, funny. as the kids say. Absolutely, absolutely. So as well as Letter Kenny, what else are you working on that you're excited about right now? I'm working on uh, Taggart and Torrens tour yes. in uh, Ontario and on the East Coast, which is in late September and early October. Um, that is a great way to get out and meet the people that listen to the pod face-to-face and sell some mm-hmm. merch and um make up some yeah. stories and tell some lies um like yeah. i say it really brings me a lot of joy and the other thing is i'm working on a pilot for a show that i'm calling miramichi vice okay she is an area in new brunswick that new is brunswick, um, yes high-end kind of uh tourism fishing destination mm-hmm. but very I've french been. canadian at the same yeah. time have you i have yeah 
So the idea is imagine the small crimes that would happen in Miramichi, <laughs> but uh, Miami Vice style detectives handle all the crimes that happen there. That sounds amazing. I actually, that we were on a, a cruise um, as guests on this celebrity cruise. And there's, I'm doing air quotes when I say that. Um, cruise? For the Property Brothers. Oh, no you, way. No, the cruise part's real. Yeah. Uh, so the cruise part's real, but the celebrity part was questionable. So it was us and a bunch of, so myself and some other Vine stars in the day and uh, some HGV, HGTV stars and the Property Brothers. Wow. So it, was really, it was a really great time. It was really funny. It was like 2,000 people on this boat. What was super fantastic is that they were mostly moms. So I was on there with a bunch of other Vine people who had literally tens of millions of followers compared to, I think, me at the time. I had maybe 400,000 followers or something on Vine. And uh, none of the moms knew who they were, but they knew who I was, which of was great. Course. So you <laughs> it was really good for my ego. What was really hilarious is that that's right. Exactly. They, I, the classic thing of coming up to someone who had 11 million followers and saying, can I take a picture, please, to me, and then passing their phone to the person. Oh, my gosh. Followers. I love it. It was really great. It's and an I, I like all the moment. people. Yeah, exactly. But we actually, there's a friend of mine who was one of the Viners uh, who was there, and there was this young woman who was on the cruise, and they, they just kind of hit it off. One of these, like, sort of, like, the, the rest of the world goes dark, and they just sort of started chatting to each other, and they're still together to this day. Come on. Yeah, yeah. But what's really interesting is that she said, uh, I said, uh, uh, the friend of mine whose name is Vincent, he said, uh, this is Anna. And, and I said, oh, nice to meet you, Anna. And he said, actually, she's Canadian. And I said, oh, that's really exciting. And where are you from? And she said, New Brunswick. And then she's, I said, well, we're in New Brunswick. And you know, she's thinking, oh, I'm not going to bother telling him where I'm from. And she said, Miramichi. And I said, oh, I've been to Miramichi. And then she's all excited. So now there's this good girl from Miramichi who's now living in California with this Vine guy just doing videos and stuff. So and there's still a thing. There's still a thing. Yeah. And she's lovely. Until he turns up dead at the annual fly fishing derby. And that's my pilot. <laughs> That's my pilot right there. I need to get some sort of byline on that. I don't know. I don't know what, how, but just somewhere on screen. That's the thing that something. I'm excited about the most is that my character speaks with a French Canadian accent and I, I want to find a way to do it. Like he speaks English with a French accent, yeah. of course, but it's every single cliche from yeah. every crime. Like show a Quebec you've ever accent? heard. Yeah, exactly. Like, Perfect. don't you think it's Perfect. funny that the suspect turned up dead on Saturday when he didn't go bowling? Like, so ridiculous. <laughs> but all the David Caruso-style terrible yeah. crime puns, he got an ed of himself, like, the worst. <laughs> and I can't wait. Well, man, that sounds fantastic, and thanks so much. I think I was thinking to myself, oh, we'll cut out some of this stuff, but this might be more entertaining. Um, <laughs> but thank you so much, and I hope you and the family are having a great summer and uh, hope to meet up sometime soon. But I would uh, love that. I, I appreciate you including me. This was fun. Yeah, it's been really great. So thank you so much again for joining us. My pleasure. You've been listening to Game Changers, the podcast series with Bristle Star. 